0: All right. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. This is Deep Docs Deeper Talks and I'm your host Julian Robinson. This is episode twenty-six, our final episode for the season. We're ending it with amazing guests discussing a really fascinating topic, pain. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the topic of pain of my former guest, Elise Shunkowitz, who is a psychotherapist and brain-based personal trainer, along with her business partner, Sarah Berger, a nationally certified Pilates instructor and Z-Health practitioner. Pain is, is a really interesting topic. It's something we're all inevitably going to experience one way or another, making this episode extremely relevant to everyone listening. With that being said, I want to just... Thank every person I got to interview this season. This podcast has been a pleasure to do. It's something that I just decided to do randomly during the pandemic. It's been, at times, therapeutic, uh, very eye-opening, allowing me to really uh, get a, a clear understanding of different perspectives and really widen my view of the world and help me to just deep deeply think about things as I do Uh, In a way where I could share it, so I just want to thank everybody. And yeah, gonna get back to work soon. uh, Work on some new episodes to post in the fall. And uh, with that being said, let's get into it. Elise Shunkowitz and Sarah Berger, thank you two so much for being on the podcast. How's it going? Thank you
1: for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. So excited. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: This is this is an exciting one. I know uh shankowitz i've been wanting you to to come on again since our last one and like we started having the conversation of you and sarah and then you know i I think maybe it was sarah who brought up the idea of pain but yes it's a great one brilliant i think it's something that everyone can relate to in some sense uh but before we dive into that do you two want to just at least reintroduce yourself and sarah introduce yourself to the audience
2: yeah, yeah. So um, thank you for having me back. So my name is Elise Shunkowitz. I am a licensed clinical social worker and brain-based personal trainer. So I combine a bunch of different modalities that pull from mind, body, and brain approaches into treating uh, people in a holistic uh, approach in primarily psychotherapy, but addressing you know 360, the, the entire person in front of me. Um, So that's what I do in my practice. I work with, similarly to Sarah, um, I work with a lot of people who have kind of quote-unquote tried everything and haven't found a lot of success in more conventional or Western medical modalities. And outside of my practice, I am a primary clinician in the Bellevue Hospital Psychiatric Emergency Room and Mobile Crisis Team. And also Sarah and I have a business together called Talk Nerdy to Me, where we teach and facilitate
1: brain-based workshops.
0: Very cool. And Sarah, do you want to say anything?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So um, I am a Washington DC-based neurocentric Pilates instructor, um, but I identify as a healer. Um, Pilates is the meat of what I do and it's the foundation, um, but I also have the functional neurology education, in addition to I just finished uh, doing my Reiki certification. So I really do approach my clients from a body, mind and spirit. So similar to Elise, uh, looking at it from a holistic approach. Um, It's not just through movement, it's through looking at the brain, looking at energy. So uh, as Lisa saying, we get those clients that they've gone to everyone else. And they just can't get the answers that they're looking for, and um, we help them be more active in their life um, and participate in their life as fully as they want. So that's always my goal. And outside of my practice, I enjoy rock climbing and uh, anything in nature. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool.
0: I think one thing that that you both you both touched upon that I think is is just really huge is just the fact that. You know, there there are people who have been tried the, the more conventional route of, uh, you know, resolving whatever issue that they may have and uh, that not working. And then they, they come to you and you guys look at it through a more holistic lens of, you know, not just from a Western, you know, science type of outlook, but also from, through spiritual and all these other things. Um, when it comes to pain, Like, how how do you guys like look at it through, I guess, more of a holistic lens?
1: Yeah. Um, So for me, when I'm looking at pain, um, I think the common thing that we see, and I'm sure everyone that's listening or watching can relate to this, um, I have pain here. I must have done this. I must have like overworked my shoulder when I was doing X task, right? Um, Or, you know, I I should go get an x-ray. There must be something wrong. And the thing is, is there's a common phrase that we say in the pain world, in our world, is like the pain is not where the problem is. Unless you have a specific injury, if you just got in a car accident and you broke your arm, if you're having pain in your arm, it's because there's damage to your arm, absolutely. But unless there is an acute injury to bone or tissue, the pain is not where the problem lies. So it's always about really um, gaining a comprehensive history and understanding of where your client's been and where they are now, because... The brain remembers everything. That's how it survives is by keeping this data and using that data to predict and make decisions. So you have an entire lifetime inside of here that the brain is utilizing. So we need to understand, you know, surgeries. We need to understand medication history um, and all those things. So it's really looking at not just what's happening right now, but what has happened through your entire lifetime really
0: right, and uh, Elise, before I w- move on, is there something that you want to add to that
2: yeah go I mean going off of what Sarah said, pain lives in the brain, so you know we have we have receptors and we have things you know parts of our body that take an in input, but ultimately the experience of pain is coming from. From our brain. So you know, when Sarah and I, every workshop we teach, we start with a very basic Neuro 101, which I can't remember if I talked about in the podcast that you interviewed me on. But essentially we have, we have inputs and we receive so many inputs throughout the days. We receive inputs through our our visual system through our hearing through our vestibular system through receptors on our skin that tell us if something is hot or cold or sharp or dull uh receptors in our tendons and our ligaments we take those inputs in we process them we make a decision and we create an output and ultimately what sarah and i are are when we think about pain we're looking to see pain we're thinking about pain as an output of the of the nervous system and we're looking at those inputs and the processing That's going on in the body to figure out what might not be working well that could be causing pain as an output, and we'll get more into this, you know, as we continue the conversation. But pain isn't just always physical discomfort in the body. Pain can be migraines, TMJ, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, substance abuse. Um, Pain is just really—it's I explain it as more of—it's an umbrella term for what I call unwanted output, uh, from the nervous system.
0: No, yeah, totally. And what are your thoughts, your both thoughts in regards to, I guess, the distinguishable factors between emotional pain and physical pain. And I guess the difference in regards to how our brains, uh, react to that or deal with it. Yeah. Well, um,
1: So as Elise was saying, pain lives in the brain and it's an output. It's a call for change. And the brain can't distinguish between what is um, an emotional component and what is a physical component. So the brain's number one job is to survive, right? Survival of you, but also survival of us as a species. So in order to survive, the brain is constantly assessing not only the internal environment, uh, but our external environment to let us to be aware of anything that could be a potential danger to the system. Okay. That's why our eyes are so important because it can see that, you know, tiger coming after us. Obviously, not many of us would find ourselves in that situation, but that's very, you know, (laughs) caveman, like, I don't know, you know, people do adventurous things. You never know. Right. Um, so when you have in an emotional experience that um, causes you pain and that's threatening, that's seen as a threat, the brain doesn't know that that's different than you know a physical thing where you just bumped your elbow or your visual system isn't working properly or there's a vestibular. Um, so in the brain, pain is pain. Now, the way that we see the output of pain as Elise was saying it's not always just a pain. It can be um depression. It can be like the TMJ as she was saying.
0: Right. And what are your thoughts in regards to, I guess, um generationally how we perceive pain and how we deal with pain? Cause like one thing, you know, that 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 I I, I like this is just my own opinion, but I feel like, you know, when you look at previous generations and, you know, what, what they went through and, you know you can call it pain, you can call it adversity, whatever you want. There there was a, and I guess we talked about this kind of in our episode, at least, yeah. grit um, that seems to have deteriorated as the generations have, you know, c- come up to the time that, that we're in today. Like, do you think that that's kind of, I guess, in correspondence to, you know, nature and nurture and, like, the fact that, you know, there's less adversity uh, in this current time frame versus in the past?
1: That's a really complex question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to take that? At least I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I don't know if you want to start. I do too. Um,
2: so I, I am read. I can't remember if I was reading this book when, when you interviewed me Julian, but, uh, there's a book called, it didn't start with you that talks about inherited family trauma, uh, and really, I mean, it's just so interesting how, how generationally things can be inherited and, and right, brought down, da- continued down the, um, the line, but it, it could be energetically, it could be in the way that, right. Your parent was raised in a certain way. So now they're raising you very similarly to that way. Cause that's what they know. Um, yeah, I mean I, I've done a lot of energy work on myself and I've definitely I've learned that I've inherited some things that I would consider pain and not not necessarily like we said like physical pain in the body but but certain emotional experiences that I'm having that may not be that I directly experience them in my life but maybe I inherited that um in my you know in my genes in my body like it's been passed down maybe energetically maybe spiritually I don't I, I haven't really d- I haven't gone too, too far down that road. I'm just starting to scratch the surface. But um, I think it's really, it's really interesting stuff. But I, I definitely want to hear what you have to say, Sarah.
1: Yeah, so I, I have two lanes that I want to speak to on this. And I think one is going to the physical. Um, you know. And I think really it's because we have a better understanding now, thanks to science and research of what pain is. Um, you know, Growing up, we heard like, no pain, no gain, right? If, if you if you can't walk the next day after your workout, well, that's a good thing. You, those are gains, right? Um, and now that we have a more comprehensive understanding of what pain is, we know that actually pain is detrimental because pain, like anything, can be learned. And we don't want to learn pain because there's so many impacts to it. Touching on what Elise said from an emotional standpoint, um, I think that, like, from my own experience, similar to Elise, that um, we didn't talk, people didn't talk about their pain, right? Like, so I grew up in a really religious household where you pray about it. You pray about that loss, and God's going to fix it for you. So we don't really, they didn't, I wasn't taught to actively change things in my life, to change behaviors, to change situations, to understand my role, because it was somebody else's responsibility. And that responsibility was God's. Right. Um, and that's how my mother was raised. So she learned that that's how you handle emotional pain. My mom went through an, an immense amount of trauma in her life. And because she did not deal with that pain, because you didn't do that, right. Um, therapy was taboo she taught me coping mechanisms and behaviors that then led to my own pain because I saw like, this is how we deal with the situation. So by not addressing her pain, she then caused me a lot of pain, particularly in like relationships with people right? and how I handled that. Um, So there is this passing on and I don't think that it's like, There's less adversity. I think that we're just being more honest and we're being vulnerable and we're saying, you know what, we're going to release this because we don't have to live in pain. We don't have to live a life where we feel caged, where we can't release what has happened in our, in our mental and physical state, you know, like we're evolving in that area. So I don't think there's less adversity. I just think that we're more open to sharing and healing
0: Right. Yeah. And to clarify, when I say less adversity, I mean more so through the pragmatic lens of, you know, uh, starvation is pretty much non-existent anymore in in the world. Uh, war basically, like when you, when you look at any other time in, in, in human history, (laughs) like this is the most peaceful time ever. Like, like, so there are of course adversities, but I think the thing I was trying to get to is that, um, a lot of times when you, when, especially today, when, when you look at uh, the situation in which we live in, you know, there are things that of course are inconvenient, but a lot of times people try to exacerbate it to the point where this is the worst time to live on the face of the earth or the, like everyone's racist, like more racist now than they've ever been. It's like, yeah. you know, calm down. Things are actually not bad. <laughs> Can it be better? Absolutely. But like, I don't know. I just feel like other generations, it's like they had it worse, but yet they they like had this level of determination and grit where they were like, yes, it's not great. What am I going to do about it? But then like a lot of times you hear people in this generation go, things are shit and I don't want to do anything. So so like, yeah, but like from an emotional standpoint and everything, I think it's totally great that people are being more and more transparent in regards to like, hey, I don't have my shit together. I need therapy. I want to work on my things. My energy level isn't is, is negative. All those things. I think that part I think is positive And like, I'm totally in line with you. And on that point, I was more focusing on the other end of it.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know um, we often say to people, you know, well, if they're going through an experience, an emotional experience that's causing them pain, well, you know, Think of people that live in this country. It's not that bad. You don't have it that bad. And I think, you know, it's perspective. Like, so we don't know what it was like to grow up in the Great Depression. You know, so I think that our idea of what is challenging in life is just skewed, right? Um, And I think that in a lot of ways, there's like, it just changes, right? Like I wouldn't want to grow up as, I would not want to be a kid today and deal with social media and that type of, um, pressure and emotional pain, you know, like, I know it's not the same, but, you know, there, I think it's just the times change and therefore, you know, what we view as challenging changes.
0: What are your thoughts, Shunkowitz?
2: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I actually think this is a nice segue into us talking about something called the the threat bucket, which Sarah and I reference a lot, because even though our modern culture today does not face the stressors of where are we going to find food? Where are we going to find shelter? We're actually seeing that people are under longer, like they're under, um, the, the stress hormones are pumping in their body. The cortisol, the cortisol and adrenaline are pumping in their body way for way longer periods of time that is healthy. So like, you know, prior when people were looking for food, they'd have those stress hormones in their body to help them focus, to help them have energy, to help them go find those sources of food for and, and kill it, the sources of food so they could have uh, nutrition. But now, and, the, and then those stress hormones would start to decrease in the body. Now what we're seeing is that even though we don't have, like our perception of threat has changed. And now we're seeing that a lot of people are under a constant, States of threat and stress to the point that it's causing a lot of a lot of chronic pain in all different ways, emotional, physical, however you know however you want to define it. but we have a concept called the the threat bucket from from Z health that Z health is the program that Sarah and I met in uh, that that actually Sarah explains it really well, so do you want to go ahead and explain it
1: okay, sure so, Yeah, <laughs> I like I how you explain it talking about, I love talking about the threat bucket um, so <laughs> You know, we've all been to a party or an event with those glass jars with like the little spigot, right? It's got the specialty cocktail in it. So just imagine that, right? Um, (laughs) If that cocktail gets below a certain level, when you turn on the spigot, you're not going to get anything coming out, right? So we need to look at um, our ability to handle threats kind of like that bucket. We're very, um, adaptable creatures. Um, we can handle a lot of stress because like Elise was saying, stress creates these releases or creates releases of these hormones that allow us to survive and to take action. But, um, when we're having, uh, well, let's take it back. Okay. So we're adaptable. We have the ability to handle a lot. So your brain is constantly looking for those threats. So maybe that is like an actual physical threat where somebody's coming after you. That's a drop in your bucket. So that's like a little drop of the specialty cocktail, right? Lack of sleep. You're not getting fully rested. You're not recovering. That can be a drop. Um, you're not well hydrated. You have dysfunction in your visual system. You have an inner ear issue. You have work stress. Um, you have relationship stress. There's all these different things that your brain is looking at throughout the day. And every time it detects a threat, that's a drop in the bucket. So as those drops accumulate, eventually there gets to this point where now we have enough drops that when we turn that spigot, we're going to get our specialty cocktail. And we're going to get this output because that is, and it's generally like a physical sensation of pain, because that's saying, hey, it's like the fire alarm going off, something needs to change. And one thing to consider is all those different threats, the drops of the like specialty cocktail are different sizes. So, um, you know, like that work stress might be a larger drop in the bucket for myself than it is for Elise. least. So it's very individual in that regard. Um, And then other ones are smaller. You know, maybe you only got like seven hours of sleep instead of eight. So it's a smaller drop. Um, So but when we get that output of pain, it's saying, okay, we're over our threshold. What can we take out of the bucket? Because we can't take everything out.
0: That's
1: that's unrealistic, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that that, that makes total sense. And one thing that, that comes to mind while you're talking was uh when it comes to this this um this bucket and all the things that uh you know all the stresses and the things that can you know fall into that, do you think that um technology and just the the world like how rapidly things are are paced and move within our society today has kind of accelerated and added on to that bucket
1: at least you want to take that yeah no
2: definitely i mean I think in in <laughs> many ways, right? Not just in the sense that we are, first of all, we're comparing ourselves constantly to other people, which gives us a poor, a poor um, sense of self, right? Like we don't understand, like we don't understand that what we're seeing, like when we're in groups, when we're in tribes, right? In communities, we understand ourselves in relationship. And now we're seeing things that aren't really realistic, right? Because we're really only seeing people's good stuff that's happening. And now we're comparing ourselves to that, which can lead to things like depression because we now have this skewed perception of what life is supposed to look like. So in that way, we're constantly, Sarah and I did an IG Live yesterday on the the need to constantly fill time and fill space with like, go, 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 right? Like if I'm not doing something right now, I should be on my phone checking my emails or I should be posting something on Instagram we touched a lot about uh, a lot on that yesterday, and then also another thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, Sarah and I talk about a lot about the visual system. When we are on technology all day, every day, we are looking at a screen. We're looking at our phone. Our eyes are in something called ki- convergence. They're looking in and down, which is activating more c- certain cranial nerves more than others, probably more than they should be activated, which is going to change change some stuff going on neurologically in the brain when you're constantly looking at a screen you're constantly looking at someone 2d that you should be seeing 3d um and there's going to be a lot of impact on the visual system and hence the overall nervous system because of how important the eyes are on the body uh and those are just a few of the ways that that technology is is adding more drops into the threat bucket
0: it's so funny oh i'm sorry
1: Sorry, I was just going to add to that, you know, when we're on our devices, it changes our posture. And when we're holding things, we're fixated and like your joints need to move. And so when we're not getting movement of our joints, we're not activating those receptors, um, the brain, you know, starting to lose its connection to those areas. So that is a threat. Um, like, and then, um, the other one is that it becomes habitual, right? Um, you, when you're at the doctor's office, you're not sitting down reading a magazine, you're just going to your phone and it's mindless. So we just get sucked into this habit of distracting ourselves instead of being present in our lives. And so, you know, there's less brain activation when you're mindlessly doing something and the brain needs fuel and activation to survive. So it's not getting activation, huge threat.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> I work from home, hate it. I hate not being around people. It's it, one thing that's really interesting is like when when like I talk to different people at my job, you know, you get very very different responses in regards to how they're liking you know the new setup. It's like some people are like, I love it. I never want to go back to the office ever again. And then I'm just like, uh, like it's it's convenient, I guess. I don't have to like you know pay for a metro card anymore. But I don't like it. I like being around people. I like being able to walk outside and get fresh air and, you know, just be around people. I never thought that I would say that I, I, I miss <laughs> getting on a crowded, disgusting train, <laughs> but I, I definitely do. Uh, I, I have been on the train a few times, but, you know, I'm nowhere near as much it's as different. I used to. Yeah, uh, yeah and it's different. Um, one thing that, that popped into my head while you guys were speaking was, A, uh, I remember David Bowie. It had to be like in the '90s, like of all people, David Bowie. He he predicted the, this this whole thing. He was like, "The internet is gonna like change the world, like like you don't even imagine, like you can't even conceive." Like, there's a, a video. Anyone listening, look look it up on YouTube. David Bowie, internet, like years ago, thirty plus years ago, he talked about this. Visionary. It's so true. The internet has just completely like fucked our brains up and you know, I think like there's, there's definitely like a lot of positives to it, but uh, as far as whether the positives or the negatives, um, like which one outweighs, which I feel like that's, that's debatable. Um, There's this um, evolutionary biologist by the name of uh, Brett Weinstein. And he, he was on this podcast once having a conversation and he said something that I found really interesting. He was saying how um, when you look at, and it kind of touches on like what you were saying, Elise, he was like, when you look at human beings uh, that used to live more uh, like tribally, where like those just like small groups, like psychologically, they, they were uh, in a better place than we are because all that you had to compare yourself to, all that you could like look at were the people near you that's all that, that was there to compare. He's like, now with the internet, now with social media, you have every single part, like there, there, there's someone across the globe who you've never met, who's like living an unrealistic lifestyle that has nothing to do with you, that you now have aspirations to, to achieve. And, you know, there's no, there's nothing wrong with having aspirations, but it's almost as if you're being brainwashed because would you have even had those aspirations if not for this tiny, you know, machine that that's like algorithmically showing you shit that you don't need and you probably wouldn't have even wanted before seeing it? Yeah, you know?
1: that's a really interesting well, point. And the problem is, is it's, yeah, and it's curated. Like you don't know the truth behind that. And Elise and I were talking about this on our live yesterday. Um, I had some posts that, I was getting a lot of comments on but people don't realize that I was crying myself to sleep at night because I was so depleted trying to keep up with the consistent posting and making sure that the editing looked really great and the verbiage was correct. You know, there's, and we show the people the parts of ourselves that we like just like on a first date, right? You're not going to, you're yeah. not going to unload your baggage. And that's <laughs> what we do on social media. You know, like, I mean, I think a lot more people are starting to get vulnerable. Um, but you know, back to the algorithm you're shown what you follow. Like I see a lot of vulnerable, like open medically related stuff. Cause that's what I look at. So that's what I get shown. Um, so. I, I, it's I, not I, honest.
0: I see a lot of like snacks and um, <laughs> yeah, the, the algorithm knows my name. That's one thing. Like I, I, like I do, I'm in advertising, but I'm not like on so, like social media advertising. But I got to say, social media advertising is on point. Like, I got advertised roasted peanuts the other day. I can't stop thinking about roasted peanuts. I got advertised this, like, Asian, like, spicy sauce. I can't stop thinking about it. Like, (laughs) Yeah, it's like this, like, and, like, it was a perfect ad. They're like, you could put it on pasta, you could put it on pizza, put it on eggs. I'm like, oh, my God, I I want, like, I I just had eggs. I want to put this fucking... Asian, like, chili, crunchy sauce on my fucking eggs. And you know how this stuff works because of your job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They got you. Yeah, but the thing is, like, and, like, this is my stance when it comes to ads. And, like, obviously my opinion is a bit biased, but at the same time, I'm, like, the most judgmental person when it comes to, you know, um, advertising and, like, you know, doing things, like, from, like, a pharmaceutical standpoint other things like that. But I think that when you're advertised something that's super relevant, uh I, I think it's great. But yeah, like absolutely. when when like you're bombarded with garbage and like things that just is not applicable or that's harmful, like that's where I'm like, no. But like yeah. hey, it, it worked. So you know.
1: Well, and that brings up another point of like why technology can create additional stress is because you're constantly um you know, you want to work harder, you want to push yourself further, because you need these things, because they're going to make you happy. You see the people in the ad, and they have this life. And look, it's great. It's wonderful. So we end up chasing things. um, And that that takes a lot of work to make the money to be able to do that.
0: (laughs) Right. So so I'm curious, what are your stances then, on, I guess, just the capitalistic structure of our of our society? What's your POV on that?
1: Mine?
0: yeah like from a an aspect of I guess just is it good is it bad as far as pain and just you know the way in which we we function do you think that it's helpful harmful in between
1: I think everything I mean anything can be taken to an extreme where it's harmful right um and that's where I think, you know, when we were talking about our devices, a lot of it comes down to like, do you use technology for good or bad? It comes down to the user, right? Um, I think that my stance on that right now is that the way in which we try to reach people um, in our marketing is, um, I think it's predatory in a way. Um, and you're preying on people's desires and their weaknesses and um i mean there's um i forget that i should know this it's skipping my mind right now at least maybe you can help me this help me with this there is um a thing in the brain that where um if something instantly changes your in, in your environment you're going to stop and you're going to notice so that's why like animals before a tsunami hits they can sense the change in the environment and they're going to move right so in video advertising and in movies and in shows they play on this next time you watch anything on TV, try to count to five before the scene changes. You can't, you can't count a fly because they're constantly changing your environment to keep your attention. And that is creating <laughs> an over-release of something. So you're, we have this survival mechanism that is now being used <laughs> And marketers use this. Dr. Cobb has talked about this, and Dr. Cobb is the founder of C Health. He's he's talked about this in um in our our seminars and our and our courses, is they know that the survival instinct exists and they use it to make money. And that's where I have a problem. Mm. But I get it, like we all need to make money, but there's just there's a there's a there's a line and it's thin. Wow.
0: So it sounds like capitalism okay crony capitalism not so okay
1: i would agree with that bingo bingo you
2: well said especially when you've created a system where you know people it's so much harder to attain a certain amount of wealth right like that's going to cause people pain because now you're you are breaking your back like i think that that term is appropriate here to get to where you need to be right you can't just go to work and and go to a nine to five job and make enough money to survive. Right. Like th- that's just like not easy anymore. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a job that pays you, I don't know, in New York city, at least a quarter of a million dollars. Right. Like it's, it's just
0: not, <laughs> it's not you can't housing
2: is too, right. Housing is expensive. Food is expensive. Food prices I hear are going up right now. Right. Like these things are really hard to just to ha- maintain a, a healthy lifestyle is nearly impossible in this country. Um, And that's where that's where I 100% agree with with both of you. Is that I don't think I think crony capitalism and it's, capitalism is an issue. Um, but just as an aside, when you were asking that, I, I think I, I do not know this information. I don't think we've talked about it, Sarah. I'm really curious to see like what pain looks like in countries that aren't capitalist.
1: Yeah. Like oh, that would yeah. be super interesting to research. Yeah. Well, so it's really interesting is that in um, uh, I think it was in. No, but they say just in general, like there's an estimation um, on the CD, you can find this information on the CDC's website that um, roughly like 20% of um, adults in the U.S. suffer from chronic pain and it is more prevalent amongst those who uh, are of a lower socioeconomic status. Ones that have below, um, like a or a high school or lower education, and those who have public health insurance. Wow,
0: and and how does that? Uh, well, I, I guess I don't know sure if you guys know this, but like, like that that percentage does that feel high? You think in comparison to other countries?
1: I would have to look at it. I haven't looked at the comparison.
0: Hmm. yeah i'd I'd be curious
2: but i i would imagine that um you mean like compare like the amount of pain like how like the percentage of people in this country who have pain
0: yeah
2: i I would imagine that the percentage of people who have chronic pain in this country is in line with the percentage of people who have chronic illness because i really think they go hand in hand um so i i would think that i would guess that we probably have more chronic pain than other countries because we definitely have more chronic illness than most countries.
0: Right. Well, one, Um, one thing that, 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 um, I found interesting, uh, like I forgot where I read this, but like there's this comedian who was like, uh, just talking about like what's going on, uh, right now in the middle East and like, you know, how he, he like, you know, just reminiscing about like trying to perform, stand up there and like how like he had to like end up doing it virtually due to like, you know um, like laws and like what was going on at the time when he went there. And he was like talking about how like he, he ended up performing for these, these, these refugees who are, you know, who basically have no home, have no, have nothing. And while like after he was performing and speaking with them, the, like, they were talking about Flint and how, you know, they, like, because at the time, like, they're they still going through the, and I'm not sure if they're even, if they're still going through the whole water thing, but at that time, they still were. And it's, like, these people are, are going through their own shit, have no home, like, like the, the place that they used to know as home has been destroyed, that they, they don't know where they're going to go. And they were asking about what's going on in Flint and what they like what they could do. And I don't know, one thing that that just like strikes me, like when I have conversations on this or like when I read things, there just seems to be a different, uh, a different, I guess, perspective as far as our place in the world when you look at it through the lens of someone in Western civilization and everyone else. I feel like here, it's very, very focused on the individual and it's less about like, um, you know, the, the, the entirety of, of like, you know, the nation or the world, but then like other places, there's a bit more of a, I guess, like, and I don't know if it's because sometimes other places are a bit more homogenized. So that kind of incentivizes you to have that different perspective, but there, there, there seems to be a bit more of a recognition that this thing we call life is bigger than just yourself. What are your guys' thoughts on that? And
1: like, why do you think that is? I mean, That's, that's a deep question. <laughs> I didn't know we were going there here. <laughs> I know that was that that came. Yeah, Good question. I mean,
2: I agree with you. I think I think the homogenized population is a very interesting point um, that we come. You know, that we're not we we come from everywhere here in the United States. I mean, I off the top of my head, I do feel like the crony capitalism is does contribute to that right? Like, it's like, what do I need to do to get ahead, to make money, to survive? Um, That's what I think is a big, is probably a big driving force of that, you know, strong sense of, you know, me, 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 individualism. Um, I mean, also, you know, many other countries, there are many countries where people live at home for a long time and and you have multi-generational homes. And I, I see that among friends and colleagues of mine who are first generation and they live with their parents and they live with their grandparents and, and here, you know, we go off to college in other countries, you know, you, you stay at home when you go to college or you, you live at home until you get married. So, and that's a generalization. That's obviously not every other country. That's a few, maybe a few other countries. Um, people are spread out, right? Like people in the United States, like families, you find families all over the place, right? People move to different c- cities very easily, um, so they're away from their, you know, the family that they, their core family that they were raised with, Right. they don't always live in the same town. Right. So I think there is that sense of, right, if you're living alone, you move to a new city, you're living alone. You're thinking about yourself and how are you going to survive? Not necessarily how your how's the rest of your family going to survive? Right.
1: Because I think we chase opportunities. And, um, as we all know, like opportunities are not the same throughout like cities, states, different regions of this country where when you have other systems in place in different cultures, um, you have better access. Maybe like, I don't know if that's the word I want, but maybe it's more like an equal access to things. So maybe you don't, you know, if you are growing up in West Virginia, you don't need to go far away to go to a specific school for what you want to study, you know? Um,
0: so, yeah, totally. but there,
1: there is something to be said about, you know, when we're talking about pain in this other cultures, you know, community um, is an important part of our overall wellness. And when there is this focus on the individual, um, we don't have the strength of community and, you know, our culture is even changing. Just thinking of, we went through this over positivity state where, you know, you just had to think your way into happiness. And so everybody got a trophy and everybody was told they're special. So everyone tends to think like about themselves and not as like a whole unit as a team. Um, And I I think things are just, yeah.
0: No. Yeah. And that's that, that,
1: take us down a very different road.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. One thing I'll say and then we can we can move along. Uh what, one thing, Sarah, while you were speaking, that that um popped into my head. I remember the first ever episode I did uh with Mr. M, we were talking about how um, you know, one of the things that that's shifted in our society, and you know, it, you could look at it as a positive or a negative, you know, um depending on your vantage point of things, but that. There, there seems to be um, this disconnect where individuals used to seek refuge um, through religion, through you know, going to the synagogue, the mosque, the church, and like that was an outlet for you to be able to you know have community, to have meaning, to have purpose. Uh, but we've we've shifted to the point where a lot of times people try to look. Towards their employer, towards their job, for you know not only just the compensation, but also for refuge, for you know community, for all of these different things, and that's a lot to put on on you know an employer and for and an establishment, and it's it's not really built to to you know provide all of that, and it inherently, like if if that's like where you're trying to seek community, and if you don't have something. You know, to the extent of, of, you know, a religious organization or something to be able to seek um, community, it'll make you depressed.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a great book called Into the Magic Shop, which I, it's one of my favorite books. It's written by a neuroscientist. Um, his name is Dr. James Doty. And um, he gives really sad statistics at the end where in this country in America, only one in four people feel like they have a single individual that they can turn to in their lives when they need help
0: that's very sad
1: yeah and And, terrible so we feel so divided and alone and we're not we're all collectively experiencing very similar things if you look at it from a large scale um and but we just we don't open up because we don't feel like we have that and you know he talks about that in the book about how we used to have this built-in community of a religious organization, or yeah, you know,
0: yeah. And what like, have you? And it's just gone. Yeah, and one thing that I was thinking of while you said that, like, it's it's kind of crazy, right, to think that, like, for instance, there could be like a let's say, for instance, like a 15 year old girl at a party, and it's like she's surrounded by people, but like she feels completely alone, and like the only thing that that like she uh, feels attached to and feels comfort from is a metal device with a screen on it that she can open up and like talk to people and do all these other things with people that she's she's never met, she may never meet that are just basically avatars, and like that's considered
1: normal. Yeah, well, there's a really uh, there's a movie that I saw advertised yesterday. Uh, a friend of ours, Casey had it on her um IG story and it's called Dear Evan Hansen and it's gonna touch on that. I I mean I was just so moved just by the trailer of was that a Broadway a play? that's a like, that's a Broadway a play. show. Yeah it's a Broadway show. Oh okay okay yeah. look at me unaware of I don't live in New York.
0: <laughs> no but, but but it's a it's a movie now it's a movie I did not now? know it
1: was a they're movie. coming out with a movie. Okay. Oh, wow. I never saw the play. I heard it's good. I heard that it's very sad, but previews, I was like, because there are like, and it looks like, I don't know the premise of the play. I'm just hearing about this, but it looks like, you know, it touches on a theme that we feel so alone, but, and we think that that person who looks like very outgoing and has like this group of people surrounded that they they don't feel like that. And they feel exactly like that. So.
0: Yeah. And. You know, I know we're going on a bunch of tangents, but this is a great conversation. Uh, Like this also makes me think of like when people are envious of celebrities and they're like, oh, like they got they got it. They got all this money that like they got all these people that love them. Like their lives must be like incredible. No, like I'd say nine times out of 10. They're the most depressed person ever. Like, Like you were saying. They'll, they'll be in a room with hundreds of people, all that pressure, like you, like people love you, not for who you are, but who they think you are, you know, like all of these things, like it's no wonder that like the majority of like comedians and celebrities end up either alcoholics, drug addicts, killing themselves, all these things. Like, like I, it just, it just blows my mind when people are like, oh, you know, celebrities got it so good. I want to be a celebrity. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. Like, do you?
2: And Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if that, the gap, the size of the gap between your authentic self and your perceived self or the image you're trying to put out there to people, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the bigger the gap, the more pain, emotional, physical, whatever someone is experiencing, right. right? Because you are so far away from being true to who you are and you are constantly putting on a show, putting on an image, and, and acting like somebody else that you go home and you're like, who am I? Right. Like people don't like me for who I really am. People don't know me for who I am. You know, it's just, that's a scary thought. And it's, it's very similar with the, with the images that people are putting out that we spoke about earlier on social media. And, and we are theoretically more connected than ever, but more isolated and more lonely than ever. And, and isolation drives information in the body, not to be like, so like to, like, well, I'm gonna bring it back to the pain, but right, inflammation drives pain and illness. It drives depression, it drives anxiety. We're seeing inflammation in the gut, inflammation in the brain, right? It's all the same. The brain, you know, you asked us earlier how to, what's the difference between emotional and physical pain. The brain doesn't know the difference. It is all dysfunction in the body, which which is why Sarah and I take this approach to treating people as, as a holistic, right? A holistic you are so many things, your, your pain can be coming from so many different things that you're experiencing, your chronic pain. It can be emotional, it can be spiritual, it can be physical, it can be, you know, inherited family trauma. Um, but yeah, it is, I think this, this technology, the images, the envy, the jealousy, right? Like the more we're envious, the more we're jealous, the less gratitude we have. And the less gratitude we have, the less content we feel and the more pain we're going to experience.
1: Well, and our thoughts are an input, you know, Um, going back to like the main function of the brain, we receive all these inputs. We have to do something with those inputs. We have to analyze it, make a decision and then create an output. Having a thought, an envious thought is a signal to the brain, something's wrong. I don't have something that I need and when we're constantly thinking like i want that i need that we're telling our brain over and over again something's not right we're not safe we 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 don't have what we need to be good right which is I'm, once again
2: putting us in that constant state of threat
0: i'm curious cuz like one thing like you know i feel like in general when it comes to this podcast it's it's very very spiritual very you know Energy focused and you know different like perspectives and everything, like what are your guys' perspective on just like like are, are like would either of you say that you believe in some form of divinity or you know like like what what, what are your thoughts as far as just why we're here and like what the whole purpose is?
1: I, I don't think that um, life and nature and all of it's miraculous occurrences um could be without some sort of divinity um, as someone who grew up in a very re- Christian religious home I've moved away from that specific religion um, but there has to be something higher at work and I don't know what that is but um for you know just I've been talking a lot about butterflies um I don't know why because it's spring right um, like, <laughs> a caterpillar doesn't need to be told to become a butterfly. It just, it does it instinctually and it literally turns into goo and comes out this winged, beautiful creature. I mean, and we're, we know we're energy. We're just a bunch of atoms buzzing around. Um, so there, there has to be something I don't have a specific deity or religion that I follow but I just think there has to be something larger than us and you know maybe I'll find out one day we'll see that's beautiful I love that
0: Oh, are you, that's
2: all you're going <laughs> you to say, shanko Oh, you What the no. fuck? Um, I just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I definitely believe in the universe, you know, I don't, similar to Sarah, there isn't, you know, something specific that I, I know is out there or that I, um, follow or, or, or pray to, but you know, the more I've gone on my healing journey, um, and and come out of, you know, chronic depression and anxiety and, and a lot of just stuff holding me back from living my life and, and really enjoying the beautiful things about life. The more I feel connected to the universe, you know, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that Sarah and I met. I mean, I, we had met a long time before we actually became business part- friends and the business partners, but I don't think it's a coincidence that we met. God, and we... She didn't
1: like me. <laughs>
2: that,
1: wow. That's a whole other story. That's a whole
2: other story. That was not true.
1: Damn,
0: Shankowitz.
2: <laughs> I do not come off like that. She's a um.
0: savage. She could be a savage. <laughs>
2: It was so funny when we discovered that, but right. Like, I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence. I think we've, we've developed a a beautiful friendship a beautiful, which really is, I think the hallmark of our friendship is vulnerability and authentic being truly authentic selves to, and feeling safe with one another to do that and then share that with the world. But right. And, and Julian, you're in my connection, right? Like I, I don't, I think amazing things happen and, and yeah, maybe they just happen. and, I'm finding common themes throughout to make me feel better, sure, perhaps, but there is still something about believing that I think gives us a sense of purpose and drive in life that is very powerful to our soul, to our psyche to um you know to keep going on and to keep pursuing our dreams and our our goals and and create bonds with other people,
0: oh yeah, totally, um, I think that you know, when, when I, when I think of it, like, you know, I, I, I'd say I I probably, you know, outright identify mostly as, as Christian, but like, as far as just like the, the, the way that I perceive it, I look at it through like the Hindu and like the Buddhist lens. Like, I I definitely think that, you know, like, it's interesting. Like I've had a conversation on this podcast about um, shamanism and Hinduism. And um, it's just so interesting. Like, I, I think that you know, there is an energy to all of us. And, you know, uh, the, my friend who came on, who's Hindu, one thing that he said, cause he's a, he's actually an engineer and like, he, he like kind of tied the two together, which was really fascinating. And he was saying how, you know, one thing that we know scientifically is that energy never dies. It never mm-hmm. dies energy. You know, like when you die, like that energy there, it doesn't just disappear. It, it just mm-hmm. turns into something else. And, you know, I I think that, you know, when we're talking about pain and we're talking about emotion, like, I think that at times we take for granted the energy that, that you put out, like when you're, you're, you know, showing love or when you're showing anger towards someone and like, you can feel it. Like, even if like someone is just like stressed and upset and like, they come into a room and like, you can feel that energy and like the impact that it'll have, whether they're doing something negative or positive, it's like it's inconceivable the 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 fact that that you know that's something that we're capable of and uh like t- to your point sarah as far as just you know a bu- a butterfly you know just yeah. becoming a butterfly and like all these things like yeah like I-, I don't have the answers no one does but i think that you know that like th- there's just such precision in in regards to like the, the way in which things work even our bodies it, it just yeah. it can't it can't just be a coincidence, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely, I mean, our ability to heal ourselves and to heal each other is incredible. I mean, they've done studies where biologically, a certain length of an embrace with another person will change your biology.
0: That's crazy. That's
1: incredible. Like, at each lobe of your brain vibrates at a different frequency. Like, wow incredible. Science.
0: Science, yeah. <laughs> um do you guys want to wanna to touch on uh the neuromatrix?
1: Um yeah so it kind of like plays into the um idea of the threat bucket is a it's it's there's some key concepts that come into play. Um, when we're looking at pain, because as we were saying, like pain, it was generally believed that pain only lived in like one specific area. And there's a lot of misinformation about like, oh, my back hurts because I need surgery or I slipped a disc or I did this. Right. Um, but there's different concepts within that neuromatrix, um, that show it's, 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 a, bigger picture right so as we said one of those concepts that we've been talking about is that pain is an output um it is a signal of threat um that it's it it's a it's an action signal threat signal as i was saying um and there's not a single center in the brain that deals with pain um, another concept is it's very individual because it's the perception of threat So based on your existence up until this day, your perception of pain is going to be different than the person sitting next to you um, because your history is different. So the person that has constantly lived in danger, um, grew up in an abusive household, um, their perception is going to be different than what your idea of a threat and pain are um, because they know perhaps a more violent lifestyle. So um, it's very individual. So there's a lot of different concepts that go into that. But I think the big picture that wraps that all up is that idea of the threat bucket, of different threats going into the bucket at different sizes. And the different sizes, as I said earlier, depend on your perception of it. What, What has been your life experience?
0: So, like, I guess tying it all together, like when, when, like you, you look at like this matrix and the, the the bucket, and you know how every individual, you know, through their experiences and through, you know, how they they were were um, raised and everything, will really truly mold how they perceive pain, like what level of pain they they end up having to deal with and everything. Like, I guess tying that with like how we were talking about you know, our, 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 thoughts on divinity and, you know, this being, uh, something that's, that's grander than, than anything that we conceive. Do you think like, where does, where does pain fall into that? Do you think that in some sense, uh, that pain is there for a reason and that there's like something to be learned from it or like, what are your thoughts?
1: I think I said this in an IG live that Elise and I did after a workshop, I said, I love pain because it's such a fabulous teacher. Um, I think, you know, as with any challenge we experience in life, it gives us like, I love to fail. (laughs) I love to fail because it allows me to learn. It allows me to grow as an individual. Um, I said something, I was rock climbing this past week and I came down and a climber who wasn't with my group said, oh, that was, you did great. I said, it wasn't my best performance. And I said, but you know what? I never want it to be my best performance because that means that I have nowhere to evolve. I have no further growth if that was my best performance. Um, so I kind of look at pain the same way. It's a great teacher, um, through my own, I've experienced physical pain and I've experienced like emotional pain that manifested in my body. Um, but without that experience, I wouldn't have, been able to heal that trauma that was passed along to me, I wouldn't have um, been able to grow in my relationships with others. Um, it's helped me become a better person. Um, it's given me a different perspective. Um, I think that's why I enjoy pain so much and I enjoy working with others in pain um, because it is isolating and it is it makes you feel a little crazy because you go to the doctors and the doctors are not giving you an answer and you're trying all these different methods and you lose hope. Right. And so because I have this understanding through my own experience, but also from what pain is from a scientific standpoint, I can then give my clients um, what they need. I can be their hope i can be their support um i can be their guide through it and you know i had a client today uh who was saying you're the first person sarah that's made me feel understood i've seen doctor after doctor after doctor and i thought i was crazy they looked at me like i was an idiot but you and the way that you look at it as like a whole system like, I've never been treated like that before. And, you know, that gives people hope. And yeah. we, we want to live a pain-free life. We want to participate. Life is fragile. Life is short. It's very limited time that we get on this planet. So we want to be able to enjoy it to the fullest extent. And pain prevents that. your what,
0: what, what what's your POV?
1: Yeah. I I love that, Sarah.
2: I mean, there's not much more to add to that, but really we, pain is part of life, unfortunately, right? If you, if you're not experiencing pain ever, excuse me, you're not living, right? And and even if you aren't living, you're probably going to, like if you're not living, if you're sitting at home all day doing nothing, you're probably going to experience pain too. But if you, if you constantly look for ways to avoid pain, you're not experiencing the beauty and, the joy of of life, because the reality is that that's part of it. It is it is a learning. It is something that we learn from, but it's also it it, it teaches us that we're actually alive because we're experiencing emotion or experiencing physical sensation, right? We know that there there is no no high highs without the low lows, right? Like you could be in the most incredible whirlwind romantic relationship that makes you feeling like absolutely amazing. And then you can break up and feel like absolute crap and like the worst pain of your life, right? So, so but that's, that's life. That's part of it. Um, and for Sarah and me, it's not about helping people avoid pain, but it's helping them learn how to, to navigate it and hopefully get out of it quickly because we don't want to teach the nervous system to stay in pain. We want to live you know, as best of a life as we can. Our goal is that we want people to feel good in their bodies. That's that's our ultimate goal to feel like they have control of their bodies, to feel good in their bodies, to feel energized, to feel happy, to feel like alive. Um, and, and we teach people how how to best do that. That's really, that's what we want to do.
1: So uh, yeah. Yeah we, oh, yeah. we change the relationship, you know, because I, once I get a client out of pain, that's not to say that they're never going to be in pain again, but like, I just, wrapped up. I graduated actually a friend of Elise's who had been in chronic pain for six years. And I gave, she learned the tools. She learned the tools to listen to her body and how to navigate any experience she has going forward. And, um, like, so now she's in control. She's in control. She knows if anything comes up again, she knows how to address it. So she's changed the relationship. She now understands that pain is her teacher. Pain is a calling Pain is a message and she knows how to answer and respond.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing while you guys are speaking, I was thinking about in one of uh, Jordan Peterson's books, you know, I remember he, like in the last chapter, like he talks about, um, you know, pain. Well, like this is something that like is kind of highlighted, I guess, throughout the whole book, but like really focused on in the end, pain is just, this is part of the deal of of existing. (laughs) There's no way to exist without dealing with pain. And it was kind of interesting because, like, he, he had a metaphor that I, I found really fascinating, where he basically was like, yeah, without, without pain, what's the point? And he goes, you know, for example, when DC Comic Books released Superman, he was impervious to everything. He had no weaknesses. He could, like, just beat the bad guy every time. There was nothing wrong with him whatsoever. It got boring they were about to to like have to release Superman because nobody was interested in it. Then all of a sudden they brought out they're like, Oh, he has this weakness and he has that weakness. Now he's vulnerable. Now it's something that people can you know actually relate to. Now it's something that actually has meaning and purpose because if, if he has no, if there's no struggle, if there's no adversity, then what the hell is the point? Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. I think it, it's, it's, it's hard though to, to, I guess, um, Uh, think about that especially like when you're in the weeds but
1: yeah well and there's a danger with that too like anything in life there's a fine line because as I said earlier you know the brain learns everything that it does habitually it creates neural pathways so we can learn pain and when you have chronic pain um, and I experienced this in my own life um, as I was moving through dealing with some like emotional traumas was I said I I was on the phone with my friend and I just broke down. I said, but who am I without my pain? Who am I? It's, it's been my identity. So it's hard for a lot of people to heal their pain because you have to break a very strong bond with a good friend.
0: Right. Yeah. There's that, 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 that balance. Yeah. yeah. Not identifying solely with the pain, you know, realizing that's not part of you, but it is, and it isn't like, it's something that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. What, what that's why we don't
1: want chronic pain.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Were you going to say something, like Shankowitz?
2: No, no, that's no. I think that's a... awesome.
0: So I I, I want to end this with you guys uh, talking about how you got Got out of out of pain personally for yourself, and then talk about your your practice a, a little bit more and, and shamelessly plug it.
1: <laughs> Thank you. There's no shame in that. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> I want I want Sarah. Sarah has more of like a
2: like experience, more of like physical, conventional when we talk about pain. So do you want to start with your sure. story?
1: yeah so for me um i'll give you the like quick and dirty version so to speak um i started experiencing back pain um right around my freshman year of high school went to a chiropractor got some asymmetries need to adjust some things um saw my chiropractor regularly and then you know did some x-rays a couple months later okay you're fine but then i was still experiencing pain so then I just, you know, I kind of got tired of dealing with it and, um, and it, and it came and went honestly. Um, but it wasn't, it kind of came to a head my freshman year of college. And I, I mean, I was struggling with, like, I kind of was losing some feeling. And so, you know, my chiropractor who I had still seen on and off said, okay, well, your spine looks fine. I'm going to send you to, a neurologist for an MRI. And then, um, I went to see my neurologist to go over my MRI and I had the disc that was so far herniated into my spinal column that actually fluid wasn't flowing. So, um, there was no ability for there to be nerve communication down to the lower left side of my body. So I was experiencing muscle atrophy, um, you know, like just a lot of other things that the doctor said, if we don't do surgery, there's going to be some, like, you're going to be wheelchair bound. You're probably going to have a colostomy bag because you can't get information to your bladder and whatnot. And I was 20 years old. (laughs) Excuse me. What How am I going to find a husband with a colostomy bag? (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, I, at that point I didn't want to have the surgery, but um, because I was seeing that this was probably the best drought, um, we did that. And a couple weeks before my 21st birthday, I had surgery, and then I was great until I was, like a couple, like probably eight years later, and then it was really bad again. Um, right before I moved to DC, my boyfriend at the time like was carrying me into work. I couldn't walk, um, and uh, I had tried everything. I said, I'm not having surgery this time. I was working with a really good sports medicine doctor and uh, we were doing like PT and the steroids. Hey, I felt great on those. Soon as the steroids were done, and you can't live on steroids, you know, and he didn't feel comfortable with that. So tried back injections. Those were okay. Then they tried a nerve block, which, you know, that worked for like all of one day, maybe at most, I think it was a few hours. And so then the doctors were like, well, let's just cauterize your nerve, essentially cut it. I said, whoa, whoa. And I didn't know what I knew about pain, but instinctually I thought, hmm, pain tells me something about my body and you want to take away my ability to feel pain. And I had already been on copious amounts of painkillers. I didn't like that, didn't solve anything. Just made me feel loopy and crappy, hallucinate my dreams. So, um, I opted not to do that. And I just thought, okay, this is my life now. I, I'm not going to run. I've been an athlete since I was three, you know, like I just, I can't do things. This is my life. And I, you know, it was really depressing. Um, but then when I moved to DC, uh, I got connected with a Pilates instructor and just moving changed me. And I think it was because I was changing the inputs. I was changing the inputs. Um, and that is what really inspired me to start going into bodies because I saw how it healed my own life. And then when I, my mentor who had been doing the Z-Health curriculum for about 10 years, when she was doing some stuff with me, I, and then I did some sessions with some of the master practitioners, I thought, I need to know what just happened because that left leg issue, I couldn't feel my foot the same for 15 years. And then all of a sudden, like my SI joint gets manipulated. I'm like, what the heck just happened? What did you do? I need to know how this happened. Um, so then I started doing the functional neurology education through Z health. And then I realized why Pilates helped me because it was moving. It was moving joints, which activates mechanoreceptors, which allows, um, information to get sent up to uh, the PMRF, which is part of the brainstem, which releases pain inhibitors into the body. So uh, I got a lot better understanding. So that was like my physical pain. Uh, And, you know, I still have pain from time to time, but as I said earlier, it's my messenger. And because pain is learned when my threat bucket has too many drops, I feel it in my lower back because that's where I know it. But then I just, I listen and I, I know how to then move forward. And it's usually 24 hours and I'm fine.
0: you
2: know? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing.
0: Yeah.
2: I actually did not know that entire story, Sarah, (laughs) which I feel like ashamed to admit, but I I had no idea about when you were uh, 20 years old and all that. Wow. Wow. Um, My pain story is more so along the lines of of emotional pain. and, And so for me, it was living, with a lot of depression, anxiety, some eating disorder stuff. Um, and I had tried so many of the conventional routes, like psychotherapy, medication management, psychiatry. And for years, I was on medications. I've tried almost, I feel like I've tried almost all of them, like every antidepressant on the market. <laughs> And nothing really worked. Like I was still depressed on them, right? Sometimes you'd feel maybe a little different, but there was never really a huge change. And I think I talked about this, Julian, when you interviewed me, I can't remember exactly. So I won't get into it too, too much, but um, I've just always been fighting for, to feel better and to be happier and to feel less anxious. And I was through a series of events, like wanting to become a personal trainer at my gym and the gym that I was a member at, at the time was actually the hub of, of Z health trainers in Manhattan. So, um, I ended up getting connected with, with a Z health master trainer and we ended up working together. Um, she was just trying some stuff out. She, she had seen that a lot of people she was working with on pain and, and weight loss and things like that, that she saw effects also in their mental health, but she wasn't a mental health clinician. Um, And she wanted to just try some stuff on me. And at the time I was in in school for my master's social work and I started to see changes just by like moving my eyes around, moving my vestibular system, breathing differently. Um, Then she sent me to another Z Health person who also did acupuncture and massage therapy and a lot of energy healing. And I mean, every type of modality you could ever imagine. And I started to get off most of my medications and lo and behold, I wasn't depressed anymore. Um, my anxiety went down a lot. I'm not going to say I'm not an anxious person. Like still I am, but my baseline has definitely gone down a lot, which is super, super cool. Um, and it continues to get better. Right. And I continue to work on myself and heal my body. And I have a lot of, um, unfortunately like a lot of things that that I'm dealing with from being on medication for so long that I that I'm de- trying to detox and reverse and I'm seeing things change, which is super cool. I see things change every week. You know, the more I put in the reps, the more I put in that work. There's new neurons being created in my in my brain and and new pathways and and it's really really cool. So um, that's kind of my healing story in a nutshell. And similar to Sarah, which Sarah didn't touch on her practice yet, but um, you know, my my practice really caters to those people who have been through that more conventional route. That's really only looking at their mind and it's not looking at their, their brain and their body also. And, you know, like we said, very pain, like injury doesn't always equal pain and pain doesn't always equal injury. And we can't always contribute the pain to one particular area. Like there isn't always one particular source in the body causing the pain. So we have to evaluate everything that's happening in the, in, that person and that individual to figure out what are potential things contributing to that pain. And it may be more than one. So I'm really looking at all of that in my practice. Um and and it's really cool because because people feel better, right? Like we give them tools, Sarah, and we give them tools to feel better and see changes in their body instantly, but then we start to provide them with the steps for long-term change, right? How do you start to lay down those new neural pathways? So you start to learn, your brain learns to get out of pain and stays that way. I mean, minus what we said, like life, part of life is getting in the experiencing pain, but hopefully you will not right, yeah. have to go back to that same pain.
0: No, yeah, totally. And b- before we get to the shameless plug, um, one thing I wanted to, to get your guys' POV on, <laughs> uh, like, if if you had the the power to to like make one or two changes to the world to to make it better, like what what do you like what what would be like the first few things that you think would need to be addressed to to really make uh, the world better?
2: Man, like in connection to pain or just in general?
0: Uh up to you, dealer's
2: choice. i'll I'll Um, speak i'll speak on pain like specifically just what comes to mind in regards to pain and sarah and i were talking about this earlier i i i really hope that there's more pain education out there because i think in the united states especially the model around treating pain is and I, and I can't take credit for this analogy because I think I heard on a podcast, right? If you have a smoke detector going off in your house, you don't rip the smoke detector off and throw it in the garbage, right? You, you go and figure out what is the source of the smoke detector going off. And a lot Ooh, of, this, I like that. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Like is I said, I can't, <laughs> I can't take credit. I can't take credit. But Such a lot a of way. what we do is, is, and this isn't just in medicine. This is also in like life, right? Be, Creating shortcuts. Like we see this all the time. Like, right, you buy something, you buy a piece of furniture and compare it to a piece of furniture built in like the 80s, and it's just not the same, right? Like it's we're we're taking shortcuts and it's not, it's really killing the long-term effects of things, right? Like we're like things aren't lasting as long. So, so we're so quick to extinguish the symptom of pain. And I'm not. And I don't think it's bad to do that. I don't think it's bad to get out of pain as fast as possible because you don't want to learn to be in pain. But we're forgetting to then go back and find that source of the pain and really go and and rehab it. Whether it be you know your your the physical the physical symptoms of pain, the emotional symptoms. Right, like how much introspection are we willing to? have and how deep are we, go, are we willing to go? Because because if we're not willing to go there, we're not going to see huge progress down the road. We might feel a little bit better for the next day or two or a week or two, or maybe the next month or year, but ultimately those things are going to come back up and haunt us if they're not taken care of.
0: Wow. That was really good. Chunk Thank
2: you. <laughs> I have to follow that. Oh, come on. There's so many things I had to follow you on here that were amazing.
1: So <laughs> oh my goodness that was really good elise um so since you took it from pain and touched on the conversation that we had earlier in the day um i will look at it from a different lens um but it does tie into and i forgot to mention how i approach pain in my practice so maybe i'll start with that first so because it ties into one of the things that i think is important for changing the world um being a good listener and hearing people, not shutting the lips and waiting for the person to be done talking, but really hearing them. And that's the main approach I take with my clients. I want them to tell me what is going on. I want to ask questions and dig in. I'm not just taking a comprehensive history, but I Before I meet with a client for the first time, I have a call with them and I go over their form and I ask them questions and I want them to feel heard. I want them to feel understood. Um, and, you know, a lot of what I do is rooted in movement because movement does heal. Complicated movement, like I said, activates part of the, the brainstem that releases pain inhibitors into the body. Um, but it's also taking a deeper approach. Like for me, I always go to my, like, it's called the neural hierarchy. So the brain's number one job is to survive in order to survive. It needs fuel and activation. I'm not, I'm not educated in, um, nutrition. So I'm not going to talk to my clients about nutrition. I'll refer them out, but the other source of fuel is oxygen. So I'm going to talk to them about breathing. Okay. I'm going to activate their brain. First, I'm going to start with the visual system. there's more areas of your brain dedicated to uh, processing visual information than anything else. Um, Because again, our eyes allow us to see danger around us. So I'm going to look at, I'm going to assess visual because if I can improve the visual information, I'm going to take out a large chunk of the water in that that, um, threat bucket. And then I'm going to go to vestibular, vestibular system that lives in between your ears tells you where you are in space. Okay, so I'm going to look at that. Um and then movement is the proprioceptive system is what the brain then prioritizes third. So um that's kind of how I approach my um pain with clients. But yes. I think the number one thing that how many things did you ask for? Three?
0: Uh, I think, just like in general. Yeah, just in general.
1: <laughs> just in general. I think I think it is we need to we need to be better listeners. And I think When people feel heard, that allows them to feel safe to open up. And when people feel safe to open up, they become vulnerable. And then we understand, I have a similar story. Uh, I'm not alone. And it builds this connectivity. It builds trust. It builds community. It fosters really important relationships. So if we want to come together, because that's how... I mean, there's strength in numbers. It takes a, a vill- you know, village to raise a child, whatever. You hear it time and time again. We have to come together. And we can't come together if we're just trying to talk. We need to listen and actively listen.
0: Man, you guys are just killing it. <laughs> like like yes. the, the the one-two punch here. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally agree. Um you know, one thing that that was in my head earlier today, and and like I like I I, I kept it in my head because I I thought it was worth bringing up at certain, uh, at some point while talking to you guys. Well, first off, I remember I had a conversation with someone, and you know, I I don't like know this technically, but but this is what they said. They said that love is the the strongest frequency or something like that, along those lines. Which to me sounds. It sounds right. So I'm just gonna agree with it and say it again.
1: It is it uh, actually is.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think that that kind of goes with like, you know, it's like in the same stratosphere of, you know, really hearing somebody, really being there and like listening and, and being vulnerable. Uh I think, you know, um when I think of like the the song Imagine, I think that's one of the the greatest songs ever created. And it's it's something where like I feel like a lot of times people are just like, Oh, like this is such a great song. But it's like, are you really hearing like what what the song is saying? Cause like I feel like the message in there is just so so powerful that it's just like really um just for like showcasing like the 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 imperative nature of putting a love above all else and really uh, having empathy for for someone who you may not know, who may not look like you, and it's easier it's easier it's it's easier said than done, of course. Um, and then the the saying that was in my head that that um, I wanted to bring up was, and I believe this is how the saying goes: "Hurt people, hurt
1: people." Mm, absolutely, yeah, for sure. I was just going to say that that we can't love and take this from RuPaul. can't love yourself. How the hell are you going to love anyone else? And it's true. And, you know, understanding that hurt people, hurt people, um, has changed the way I look at people. Um, and I work a lot with children and I remember one of my little clients, she's 10. She was talking about, you know, she's very anxious and she was talking about not feeling, you know, just feeling left out because she didn't get invited to a birthday party. And she was talking about this girl. And I said, maybe she's treating you like that because she's unhappy and she doesn't know how to deal with those emotions. So if you can just look at her with a little bit more kindness and understanding and not look at what she's doing to you, but maybe consider what she's experiencing in her own world, maybe that'll change the relationship with her. And I think that that's, we need to try to be more understanding and more empathetic by looking at people and understanding like that, the negativity that is spewing from people is often because they feel caged in this world where they don't know how to process what's going on and the emotions and the pain that they're experiencing. And if we can just come to them with love, like if you say you were talking about that song that I love so much, but I also love um, what a wonderful world by Louis Armstrong. And if you've ever listened to him doing that live, he talks about that. Like we just, we need to love each other more. We need to show empathy and understanding. And that's done through listening and hearing and understanding somebody else's experience. Absolutely. Ask more questions. That's yeah. what we need to do. Ask more questions.
0: Absolutely. Chunkowitz. What are your last words?
1: No, I can't see. Now I can't go all with that. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great. That was so, so great. I'm going to second all of that. I love it. Ditto. That's her (laughs) final word. Ditto. Ditto. Wow. Wow.
0: All right. You guys want to, while we wrap it up, um, uh, just I'll put it in the description, of course, but, uh, highlight your, your website, your Instagram and everything.
1: Yeah. So we have a fun little company called talk nerdy to me. Um, our website is currently under construction. It's been a challenge to get that. Um, ready to go with working two full time jobs, but we will have that up live soon. <laughs> but you can get yes. all the up to date information by following us on Instagram at talk underscore nerdy, N E U R D underscore two underscore me. Um, and we are hosting workshops monthly where we're trying to re educate people on um, how to deal with these common issues and get people excited about neurology cool
0: science. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Thank
0: thank you so much, ladies. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'd love to do this again.
1: Save, save. Thank you so much for having us. This is really fun. Thank you. And very thought-provoking. So I appreciate the uh, unexpected (laughs) question. I love the conversation. I love those great. Those are really, really great.
0: Yeah, absolutely.